Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Welcome to the house of the Lord today. Praise be to God. He's so good and he's so faithful. And uh, the Lord's brought us all together here to hear his word this morning and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To grow in God's grace and mercy and to grow by hearing the gospel, to hear the truths of God and to learn, you know, better yet, how God wants us to live. That's, you know, really the reason why we read and listen to the Bible is to grow and listen and hear how, how do you want me to live, Lord God? And I've made this decision, Lord, I want to... I made a decision to follow you, but now, Lord, I, how, do I, how do I know how to do that? Well, basic instructions before leaving earth, Bible. That's God's word, and it tells us how to live our lives every day. It tells us how God, what God expects from us. Many people, unfortunately, today come to the Lord, and they think, oh, it's my way. You know, oh, it's, it's my way. It's the way I want to live. And, and uh, you know, it's like getting a job and then thinking you can go into work and then just work the job the way you want it to work. That doesn't work that way. You get fired real quick. So read your Bibles because that's how God tells us how he wants us to live. Praise be to God. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer before I read our scripture and before I give us our title, and then we'll, um, we'll get into the word of God. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for your, uh, for your word and for your wisdom. Lord, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, and it, it's, uh, it's our rule book, Lord. It's, uh, it, but it's not rules, Lord, because you're some unjust judge and you just, <laughs> you're sitting up there laughing at us because we have all these rules and laws to follow, Lord. Your word is, is, a, is a guide for us to live, Lord, and your rules aren't bad. Laws are good, Lord. Laws keep us out of trouble. Laws keep us from hurting ourselves, Lord. Laws help us, keep us from doing evil, Lord. Laws help us from not hurting one another. And so, Lord, thank you for your, your big love letter and your rule book that you gave to us so that we could know how to live and know how to serve you and, and know how to come to you, Lord, because your word takes us all the way from knowing how to come to you to knowing how to serve you to know where we're going when we go home, when we leave this place of where we sojourn. We're just pilgrims passing through, Lord God. This is not our home. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. I pray that you just bless this message and bless our hearts as we listen. I pray we wouldn't be just hearers only of the word, but we'd be doers of your word. Lord, uh, not being hypocrites, Lord. I just pray we'd read your word and, and, and grow more and more in love with you as we listen to your word and as we hear your Holy Spirit speak to us. We praise you and we thank you, dear God. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to be there this week. Matthew 16, 21 through 23. And uh, the title of our service today, it's a kind of an unusual one, not one that I usually kind of would title, but it's, uh, don't be so hard on Peter. Don't be so hard on Peter. You could say, don't be, don't be so judgmental on Peter. So I'm going to read the section, and we're going to get into it. And you may be thinking, well, that's a weird title. I agree, it's a weird title. I didn't even want to, I didn't want to have it. And then God just kind of told me that's the way I want it. What's the main service about? And so I said, all right, I'll, that's the one, that's what it is. So if you want to follow me along, Matthew 16, 21 through 23, let's read it and let's study the scriptures. The Bible says, verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes 
and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So remember the title, because this uh, section of Scripture is very famous in many circles. I, and I've had that before. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But a lot of people look at Peter here and go, oh, man, what a knucklehead. Wow, how could he do that? And, but don't be so hard on Peter, because there's some extenuating circumstances that we're going to look at today. It's a, I wrote in my overview today, it's a, I think this is a fresh perspective look on this section here where Peter answers, rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus comes back with a rebuke on Peter. So we begin just remembering what we studied last week. Remember last week we studied Peter's bold proclamation of Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And remember, Jesus genuinely and wholeheartedly approved of that confession that Peter made. And we talked about how the world's religions and the world's peoples don't think that Jesus is the Christ and he's not the only way to heaven. And yet, you know, that would go against completely contradicting the Bible and Jesus' genuine approval of what Peter said. And remember how we talked about the fact that it was such a powerful, you know, statement by Peter because, you know, he was a firsthand witness of, you know, what, what Jesus did. He wasn't somebody looking on from, you know, afar off. He wasn't somebody looking on like, you know, somebody that looked at a wreck that kind of heard it and then looked. You know, they were firsthand close witnesses to what Jesus did. Again, I, I, wanna rem I want you guys to remember this, that that, that that statement in reality about Jesus ended up costing him and Peter and all the disciples except for John. They tried to kill John, but it didn't work. But that statement and that reality of Christ ended up costing them their lives. If they just would have rejected that, if they just would have not agreed upon or, or uh, you know, approved or, or, you know, wholeheartedly preached that and believed that and put their faith in that, then they would have never had to die. But yet it was because of that statement, because of that reality that Peter, all the disciples, and Jesus ended up giving up their lives. And I don't know if I talked about this last week, but just a refresher. The fact that Peter and the disciples were willing and eventually did die for Christ in the end of their lives, when all they would have had to do was reject Jesus and they would have lived, is actually a proof that the Bible and Jesus Christ are true. I don't know if you know that. How? Well, you could read Josh McDowell's book called, titled More Than a Carpenter, and he has a little chapter in there, talk, you know, and he talks about how, what would it be like for you to have a firsthand relationship with somebody. These guys spent three and a half years with Jesus Christ. They saw him waking to sleeping almost every day, minus the times that he would go to the mount to pray. They saw countless miracles, hundreds, probably thousands of miracles. They lived with them. They ate with them. They, you know, he washed their feet. They, they, went, they were his servants, so on and so forth. And yet they were firsthand witnesses. What would it be like if you had somebody in a, a firsthand witness kind of thing and you die for somebody that you knew was a fraud? That's not going to happen, folks. That's not going to happen. You wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be as sincere about something you knew that was not true as the disciples were to Jesus. They were firsthand witnesses of Christ. And since they firsthand witnessed what he did, it was easy for them then to say, 
Well, since we know that this man's the truth and we know he's no lie, we know he's no fraud, then we easily can die for him because we know that he's the real deal. He's not some fraud. He's not some joke. He's not some fake. But again, you know, back to our scripture today and last week, at the point of Matthew 16, 16, when Peter made this bold statement about Jesus Christ, he didn't know that. He didn't, he or the disciples didn't not, did not know that it was going to cost that statement of faith and that proclamation of that faith were going to cost them their lives. He didn't know that. But that all changes with today's section of Scripture because they find out right from the mouth of Jesus that what he is and who he is is going to cost him his very own life. Look at verse 21 again with me. I'm going to read it again. So we go through this statement of Peter's. Verse 20, then he commands his disciples that they should tell no one he was the Christ. Verse 21, from that time, from that time, you could say forward, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. They got a rude awakening of what the Christ was really going to go through. So since none of them knew this truth or this outcome of their Lord, their beloved Savior and their Lord and their leader, what would you expect their response to be to this statement considering they didn't know it? What do you think that they, you know, if you didn't know something and then somebody springs something on you, what do you think your response would be to that statement when you were like, whoa, and especially if it's a shocking one like Jesus said here? Well, we don't have to wonder too long because look to verse 22. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And in my New King James Version, there's an exclamation point at the end of that. Peter was in a stressed way. He wasn't just like, oh, come on, Jesus, pal, that's not going to happen to you. He was stressed about this. This was a, this was a major, his reaction the way I see it here was absolute disbelief, rejection, and shock. They were shocked. What? what? This is, this is going to happen to you? No, 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 Jesus. Peter actually takes the Savior aside. He rebukes him for what he said, and then he tells him, look at verse 22 again. Read it carefully, because God showed me something this week. This shall not happen to you. Here we only have Peter's recorded testimony about this. But you know darn well, you know, I, I, I'm in full-hearted, you know, wholehearted belief Peter was kind of like their spokesman. You know the rest of the disciples felt the same way that Peter did when he made that statement, except Peter was the only bold one to blurt it out like he always did. Right? Well, you know, you just know that the rest of the disciples thought about that. They were thinking that same thing. Now, right here, is when I've heard this taught many times. I've heard this section of scripture taught. I've heard many pastors reference this, and I've always wholeheartedly agreed in what they said. Wow, what a knucklehead Peter was. Wow, how dare he? He goes to Jesus, the Savior of the world, knows the future. The, he's God Almighty in the flesh. And he goes up to P Jesus, and he actually, no, Lord, no, not really? 
Jesus knew everything. And you're going to tell Jesus, no, Lord, this is not going to happen to you when he just said it was going to happen to him? How do you tell the Lord, the creator of the universe, no, Lord, that, that's not going to happen to you? Well, that's, it's real easy at this point to get on the bandwagon and start taking your clubs and start taking your, your spoons and start smacking Peter over the head with your, with your words and saying, oh, Peter, he should have known. Oh, come on, Peter. Oh, please. You know, how do you dare you rebuke the Savior like that? In fact, I've been hard on Peter for years and said those things like that. But the Lord, see, the Lord, he's got a, he's got a good way of doing things. The Lord opens up revelation to people. And I believe that I got a huge revelation from God on this section of Scripture this week. And I had to actually repent about the way I thought about Peter in this section of Scripture. And I hope that as God reveals the truth through my mouth today to you, that you repent about what you may be thinking of, maybe, maybe what you're thinking of Peter as well. So why was I wrong to be hard on Peter? Why was I wrong to judge Peter? Well, I'm going to explain it all. I'll make a few statements, and then I'm going to explain it. So just be patient with me and say, you know, well, jump on a bit. Oh, that's not true. You're just making statements. I'll, I'll show you the statements that are true. Just listen to me out right away. I say that I was wrong in thinking that Peter was a knucklehead. We can't be so hard on Peter because the disciples were simply confused about why Jesus, the Christ, really came to earth. Jesus' disciples thought that the Messiah had come to reign and rule on the whole earth in their time, in the time that they were living. They did not believe he was going to be tortured, then murdered by the very people that were expecting him to come. This was a shock. They had been taught this was not the case, that the Messiah was supposed to come and reign and rule on the earth not be tortured, die, and raise again. That was a completely foreign idea of, what, what is that? What is that for the Messiah? You see, when Peter responded to Jesus the way he did in verse 22, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. It, was, it wasn't because he was trying to be evil-hearted toward Jesus. It wasn't because he was trying to be, oh, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to tell him what's wrong. I'm going to set him straight. It was because he and the disciples really thought that the, G, that the Christ had come to earth to reign and to rule and not to die. He wasn't trying to be evil. He was just repeating the confusing facts that were being taught about the Messiah coming to earth. Now, if you're doubting what I'm telling you, I'll show you my points. And you can agree or disagree, but the, let the scripture speak to us and let the scriptures say what they're going to say and then make up your mind about what I'm saying. So why were they so confused? Go back to that. Why were they so confused about the purpose of the Messiah's coming? You see, they lived in a very confusing time in regards to the revelation that God had given about the prophetical scriptures concerning the, uh, concerning the Messiah. Well, that's a mouthful. They were living in a confusing time. They, they, they had all these prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. What is prophecy? Remember what prophecy is. Prophecy is when God says something, hundreds, days, weeks, months, years, hundreds of years, thousands of years before something happens, and then that thing, that event, that thing, whatever it may be, comes to pass. That's what prophecy is. And we know I'm going to talk about it at the end of the service too. There's only one that can really prophesy because that's God. If he, does, if he decides to do it through man, that's the one thing. But only God knows the future. 
Only God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. We think we do. Well, we're going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to go about my business. Well, what if you die tonight in your sleep? You don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Only God knows what's going to happen to you and the world tomorrow because he knows the future. And as a side note, just as a powerful side note, I, I think we ought to look at one thing as we're going through our scriptures here too, prophecy. As a side note, prophecy shows us that the Bible is an accountable, trustworthy, and true book that we can put our trust in and our hope in. And I hope you see that as we go through this message today. So, they had two different kinds of prophecies in the Messiah's time, in Christ's time, in Peter's time. They had two different types of prophecies that the prophets of God had written down for God throughout time, throughout when they lived and they heard from God. I'm going to give you a couple major examples, and then you can be the judge on whether you should be hard on Peter or not for what he said to Jesus. We have our first example. I've got four for you today, and they're kind of lengthy. We're going to be on verse 22 for quite a while. But I have four examples for you of four different types of prophecy, or two different types of prophecy, two on each side, and I want you guys to listen to them. So first we have the prophetical book of Isaiah, chapter 53, where I'm going to read the whole thing. It was written five to six hundred years before Christ was born, where Isaiah, the prophet of God, writes about the Christ. Verse 1, listen along. He says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, capital he, shall grow up before him, capital him, as a tender plant. Whenever you see that in Old Testament scripture, when he's and hymns are capitalized, those are talking about uh, people that are very important. Because you wouldn't capitalize, hey, that guy over there did that. You wouldn't capitalize the G. That's always talking about God. So he and him, that's the Messiah and God. For he, the Messiah, shall grow up before him, God, as a tender plant. As a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus was just a normal man like you and me. He was just a normal fleshly man. Of course, he had a God nature, but he was just lived in the flesh like me and you do. He was a normal man in the flesh. He was 100% man, 100% God. So there was no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. Well, that's exactly what happened to Christ. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. That means we did not hold him high. And if you look at the people of Jesus' day, the religious leaders, all those that were supposed to be expecting him, they did not hold him high at all. In fact, they scorned him. They looked down on him. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who else in the foundations, the foundation of the planet has ever had the sin, that's what iniquity is, sin, has had the sin laid upon them. Nobody except for the Messiah. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was, listen, cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Listen to that. 
he was cut off from the land of the living. That tells us that this man died for the sins of other people, for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. So this man came. The sin was placed on him of the world. He died. He was cut off from the land of the living. He died for the sins of mankind, for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. He was on a cross to die, but yet he was in a tomb for his burial. Well, only rich people got tombs. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall labor, and he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, this is salvation, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Listen to that. Isn't that awesome? Total prophecy of the Christ coming and dying and being resurrected from the dead. He will see his seed and he will, shall prolong his days. A total prophecy of the suffering Messiah and the resurrected Messiah. Second example I'm going to give you. The prophet David writes in Psalm 21, 11 through 18. And David actually, by, by revelation of God, gives us a total picture of the crucifixion of the suffering Messiah. I'm going to start in verse 11. He says, be not far from me, for trouble is near. Now, this is the Christ speaking. Listen to the details here, and you can hear the cross. If you know the gospel and you know the cross account, you'll know the cross. You'll hear it right here. This was about 800 years before Christ lived. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have circled me encircled me, excuse me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have encircled me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That sound a little familiar to you? You'd have thought I was reading the Passion of Christ when I was reading that, but yet it wasn't. That was written by the prophet David 800 years before Christ was born. How does a man get those details that close? Unless there's a God in heaven... And unless he knows the future, because that's exactly what I just read there. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. So these were some of the prophecies. These are just two. There's more. But these are just two of the prophecies of the suffering Messiah and the crucified Messiah and the resurrected Messiah. Just, just two. There's more. We won't get into all of them for time's sake, but, but there's more. You can do the research on your own if you want to. At this point, you may be saying, come on, Pastor Ed. All right. We see it. I've heard those prophecies before. That, totally, absolutely, 100%, hands down, there's no way that Peter could have mistook in those prophecies. I mean, come on, Pastor Ed. They were there. They had them all. That There's no way that Peter didn't know them, and I, and I will agree with that. Peter knew those prophecies. You may be saying, you're crazy. I can be as hard on Peter as I want because Peter should have known those things. Absolutely. He would have known these things. I believe that he was just a 
pure up knucklehead and he, why did he say that to Jesus? He was totally wrong. He should have known him. He, he should have said, yes, Jesus, that's for you. Let's move forward. He should have never rebuked Jesus on the side. Well, before you're quick to judge Peter, as I did, just look at a couple more prophecies pertaining to the Messiah's coming on this earth. Except for these prophecies are a little different than those last two we read. All out of their Tanakh, all out of their Holy Hebrew Bible, they were all referring to the Messiah. And I have two more here for you, and let's listen to what these say. But these are about the Messiah's coming to reign and rule on the earth. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. So that would be somebody that came from the line of David. I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment, in the, judgment and righteousness in the earth. And in his days, Judah will be saved. Listen, and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. You see, that's a prophecy about the Messiah come to reign and rule on the face of the planet. That I will raise to branch, uh, uh, to David, a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Now, wait a minute. We were just reading that the Messiah was going to come and they were going to put him to death and they were going to beat him up and they were going to crucify him and he was going to die. and then what, What's this one here? He's going to reign and prosper? That, that doesn't sound like the same type of coming to me. I hope it doesn't to you. And let's go to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. If you're not going there, you just listen along. Daniel writes about a vision he had. I was watching in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man. What were they calling Jesus all the time? Son of God, Son of Man. And behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Here's another coming of his. He came to the Ancient of Days. Well, there's only one that's the Ancient of Days in the Bible, and that would be God Almighty, the, the Father God, the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. Then he was given dominion and a glory, and a kingdom. Well, this is something, he's, he's coming with power. He's been given glory, and dominion, and a kingdom from God here, okay? That all peoples, listen to this, nations and languages should serve him. Huh? Where's suffering, death? No, it's not there. All peoples, nations, languages should serve him. Listen, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. So this is how he'll never die. He, if you have an everlasting dominion, folks, you, your dominion, your, your, your dwelling will never go away. It's you forever. You'll be there forever. You'll reign forever. Your, you'll, your dominion will, be, will not pass away, he says. And, and, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Whoa. That's, that's another type of the coming of the Messiah, wasn't it? We have two different types of the coming of the Messiah there. One is a, one is a you know, oh, you know, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do and, and, and nails through the palms of the hands and nails through the feet and a, a spear in the side and a, he, he gave up his breath and then three days later he rose again. And then, and then we have here is, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and, and, and he will not be destroyed. 
So in these prophecies, it's written that the Christ will reign and prosper in these here, and he'll, and he'll execute judgment and righteousness in the earth and save Israel from their oppressors. Well, in Jesus' day, that didn't happen. Uh, the, the, the Romans were oppressing the Israelites every single day. And all the peoples of the world, it said here in these last two prophecies I read, and all, and all the peoples of the world would serve him. Well, we didn't see Jesus do that. He was rejected by his peoples. He was, he was crucified to death and got buried and then rose again. He, this did not happen to him. And again, there's even more that speak about this type of coming of the Messiah. So there were definitely, you see, two different types of prophecies concerning the Christ coming to earth. Two different, distinct type of prophecies. One spoke of the suffering Messiah that was going to die for the sins of the world. And one spoke of this, this Christ that was going to come in great power and pomp. And he was going to rule the whole world. And all everybody on the earth was going to bow down to him and serve him. And, and, and you know, he was going to basically be their Lord of the whole world. There were two different kinds. So, a question to you. So was this Messiah supposed to come, be attacked and cut off and die for mankind, or reign supreme over the whole world? Which one was it? In two different sets, which, which ones were true? You, you just, I just read them. You heard them right out of the Bible. Right out of the Hebrew Bible, they would have been what Peter had. We still have today, we, you know, but that was the Old Testament. We have the New Testament too, but which ones were true? Do you know? Do you know? Well, I want to ask you, are you confused yet? Because I bet you a lot of people listen, you're confused. But that's okay, I'm going to explain it. But are you confused? And if you say yes, I'm glad. Because now maybe you can see how Jesus' disciples and peoples of Jesus' day felt when they would have been confused also. And now maybe you can have some mercy on Peter and what he said to Jesus. So you, do you see the confusion that was there in the prophetical scriptures about the Messiah? You see, in Peter's defense, to Peter's defense, he and the others of the world at that time, the Jews, had all these different prophecies about the Christ from all these different prophetical books of their Tanakh or Hebrew Bible. But you see, the key was, there was a key that was missing there. They had no way of knowing how they all fit together. God had not revealed that truth of how they all fit together. They just had all these different prophecies about this coming one, and they had others that you know, talked about how he was going to heal and how he was going to you know, save people from their sin, and he was going to give you know, restore sight back to the blind and raise the dead to life, and then all these different prophecies, but they did not have the key of how do they all fit together. So again, I say, be careful how hard... You judge Peter here for what he said because there was some confusion in his day. So I want to ask again, have you figured out which scriptures were the ones that they were to believe in about the Christ? The suffering Messiah or the reigning Messiah? Well, if I, what if I were to told, tell you now today that they're both true? Both of these sets of prophecies are true. They were true. And they are true to this day. And you may be saying, what, what's going on? How, how in the world can that be? I'm glad you asked. God speaks in his word of a first and a second coming of the Christ, you see. It's called Christ's first coming and his second coming. 
we're waiting to this very day for a second coming of Christ, where Jesus spoke about when he lived, we're waiting about this second coming of Christ, where he's going to come back and reign and rule over the whole earth, and then everything's going to be wiped out, and he's going to start over new, and then he's going to reign and rule over a new heavens and a new earth. But they didn't know that back then because, you see, Nobody knew about these first and second comings of Christ until Jesus in his three and a half year ministry taught about them. See, he taught them in his three and a half ministry, three and a half year ministry, and then he passed them on to his disciples, which they in turn wrote all the in all the epistles and in all the New Testament books, including Revelation, what ended with John. The, that's when the disciples revealed them in the writings of what we call the New Testament of our Bible today. And that's how we know that they were there. That's how we know that, there's a first, that there was a first coming when he was to die for the sins of the world, when he was supposed to come lowly, riding on, the, you know, riding on a donkey, uh, like the colt, the foal of a donkey, riding into Jerusalem, and Hosanna, Hosanna. And then there was, there's a second coming where he's not coming as a babe in a manger anymore. He's not coming, oh, I love everybody, come to me, all you who weak and are weary, and I will give you rest. He's coming in power. He's coming to reign over the whole earth, and he's going to pass judgment on all those that reject him, coming with the clouds in heaven, see? But there's two, and they didn't know about those first and second comings of Christ when Peter said to Jesus, no, Lord, this shall not happen to you, because again, they thought this was that time when he was coming to reign right now. God's word is amazing. And there's lots of revelation in there. But it can be confusing, especially when God doesn't give the revelation of his word out as he had not in the Old Testament to the Jews. So they had all these different messianic prophecies. Some speaking of the first coming of the Christ, suffering, put to death, sins of the world and all. Some speaking about the second coming of Christ where he set up his kingdom and he's going to reign forever and even into eternity. But the people were confused, especially the disciples. Remember that. Keep that in your mind. And as I said earlier, the disciples thought that Jesus had come to earth to reign forever the first time he came, not ever known of any second coming of Christ at all. So I have a question. Maybe a question has been nagging you. And because it was me until God revealed it to me, just I believe it was just yesterday. How did the Jewish teachers of Jesus' day and before interpret all those suffering Messiah prophecies? I mean, they're there. You can't ignore them. He shall come and lowly and riding on the the the, uh, the a colt, the foal of a donkey, and he'll come and he's gonna his hands will be pierced and he'll look out and he's gonna die for the sins of mankind. And by his by his uh, by his knowledge, many people shall be saved. I mean, you you can't. You can't ignore them. They're there. All the Jewish teachers, they had all those same prophecies just as we do today. Just as we do today. How did they go around them? Or did they ignore them? Or did they not have them? No, because as I'm going to oh, I'll talk about it now, they had the Dead Sea Scrolls, which proved that, you know, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Somebody found the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 40s, which dated back to 100 B.C. So we know that the, the, the Jews had these scriptures, these prophetical scriptures, way before Christ was ever born. So what did they do with these scriptures? Well, here's what they did, sadly. Instead of not speaking on what they didn't know, that's, that's something the New Testament talks about. Paul says, I dare not speak what the Lord has not taught me. And that's something I practice. I don't speak on something unless God has taught me. Because if I'm speaking on something I don't know, or something I don't know about, then I'm in danger because James says that not, not many people should become teachers knowing that teachers will have a stronger judgment from God. Okay? But they didn't. They really had no fear of God. 
So what they did with all those messianic prophecies of the suffering Messiah, what they did is they, they took out the idea of the Christ out of the prophecies and they plugged in the Jews. They were teaching the people that the Jewish nation of Israel, they were really the, in place of those suffering Messiah. Because, you know, all the affliction that the Jews had suffered throughout all the years, all the, you know, the times that they were taken away and all the times that they were, you know, captured and, and abused and beaten by the people. Well, they plugged in that the Jewish nation of Israel was like that Messiah in those suffering Messiah pictures. So they didn't just discount them completely. They actually just replaced the idea of that being the Messiah with the nation of Israel. So it's sad, but that's what they were doing. So they weren't willing to accept, nor could their brains handle the fact that their Messiah was going to come and be this, be this lowly man that nobody held in esteem. And, and, you know, he was just this lowly man and, and you know, he wasn't royalty. And they were, they were expecting this Christ to come and they were looking at their freedom. That's all they were looking at. They were looking at their freedom. Ah, oh, he's gonna, uh, he's gonna set us free. These Romans, they're gonna suffer. They're gonna pay. They're not gonna be able to reign over us anymore. We're gonna get a. We're gonna be up. We're gonna be on. You know, on the on top. You know, we're gonna be on top. The Romans aren't gonna rule over us anymore. We're not gonna be the lowliest of all people on earth anymore. They were not willing to accept the fact that their Messiah was not gonna come for that. Why do you think Jesus was always saying? often different times in his parables, often different times in his, in his teachings, those who have ears to hear, let him hear. He was trying to bring the true revelations of God, but people were not wanting to listen. The Jewish leaders had not respected him because he was a lowly man. He was the son of a carpenter. Carpenter was just a laborer. He wasn't a holy man. He wasn't a, he wasn't a high Jew. He, would a, he was just a carpenter, just a working class man, just a lowly man. All right. Back to our verses for today. Let's finish up. Because I, there's probably a question you've been asking in your minds about Jesus and Peter, and I'll address it in just a moment. Now, just because the disciples had this false information, just because the disciples were confused about why the Christ was supposed to come, didn't mean that they could keep walking around in this confusion forever. After all, God just showed this to me the other day. Jesus was preparing the disciples for his departure where they were going to be the ones to take his teachings and the things about him to the, to the Jews and then to the world. So they couldn't keep walking around in these false ideas that the Christ was just going to be this reigning and ruling master over the whole world and, and this suffering Messiah business wasn't even a part of their culture, wasn't even a part of their ideology, wasn't even a part of their teaching. So Jesus, standing in the truth the way he did, had to correct them and set them straight at one point. Well, he finds a perfect opportunity right here when Peter rebukes him because Peter doesn't think he's supposed to suffer. He doesn't think he's supposed to die. He doesn't think he's supposed to be put to death. Let's read verse 23 and how Jesus responds to Peter. Peter responds, or Jesus responds to Peter and he says, he turned to him and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. So I've been saying this whole sermon. I've been talking this whole, almost, well, almost 40 minutes now, or about 40 minutes, about how we shouldn't be that hard on Peter. You know, give him a break. All the different extenuating circumstances that we talked about. False teachings, 
the confusion on prophecy, so on and so forth, for his statements to Jesus, you know, ease up on him. He really, you know, in a sense, he was ignorant, but ignorance is bliss, but it doesn't, you know, the truth is the truth, and we, you know, we got to know the truth. So the question that you might have been wondering is this. Why was Jesus so harsh on Peter for what he said, considering he should have given him, oh, come on, Jesus, you know, just, he didn't know the truth. You know, come on, you know, he had all these different things going on. He had the confusion of the prophecies, so on and so forth. Why was Jesus so hard on Peter for what Peter said? Switching gears just a little, I want you to think about a question. You know, sometimes we get into our mindset and we think culturally. A lot of people think culturally. We think of our culture today. And see, in our culture today, why do we think that Jesus was being evil-minded or evil-spirited or evil-hearted toward Peter at all? See, I don't think he was. As I think of the Jewish culture... I don't think that Jesus was being mean or evil to Peter at all. Number one thing that leads me to believe that, <clears throat> and the way we could read it in our culture today, and what Jesus Christ said to Peter, if you think about that, if you said that to any American alive today, they would consider that slander. Evil-hearted beast! That was, that, I can't believe that that guy talked to me that way. Oh, <gasps> Verbal abuse, oh my gosh. But you see, their culture was different. Their culture was absolutely different. I don't think that, you know, I think in fact, if, if Jesus would have spoke to Peter that way, I think it would have been sinful. I think that that would have been an offense. That would have been a sin of, of Jesus. But, but remember, Jesus didn't ever sin. He never was evil toward anybody. He was never... He was never wished evil on anybody. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, love, it talks about love and talks about, you know, and we know that Jesus is the picture of love. And the picture of love thinks no evil. Thinks nothing of oneself. Jesus thought no evil. So he couldn't have been thinking evil of Peter because love thinks no evil. And Jesus was love. So we know, I, I believe, that Jesus was not being evilly spirited or evil-hearted with Peter here. I believe that he was just being hard on him. He was being like, you know, he was being stern. He was being, you know, not, not even aggressive, but just more like, you know, more like Peter was in Acts 5-3 with Ananias. See, there was this guy in Peter's day in the new church, and it was the brand new Christian church, and Ananias was being evil-spirited. And he, he sold a piece of land, and at that time, the, all the Jewish, all the Christians had, one, had everything in common in that church, the Jewish church, the church of Jerusalem. And this man thought, he had an evil heart, in his, in his, he had an evil thought in his heart, and he thought, well, I'll go sell this land, and then to make myself look better, I'm going to say I sold it for, I'm, they didn't give numbers, but I'll say I sold it for $500. But in actuality, he, he, held, he sold it for a thousand and, and he held back 500 for himself. But when he came to church, he gave it like he gave everything, which was an evil heart. He had an, a definite evil heart. Well, Peter says to Ananias in Acts 5:3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land? I think that's a key in what Jesus told Peter here because Peter says to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? The Bible does say to test the spirits, to make sure which ones are from God. 
you have to know right now, and in case you didn't know, you know now, any thought or idea that you get, every single thought or idea that you get, it comes from one of three places. I believe in origins. Everything has an origin. We have an origin. The world has an origin. Everything has an origin but God. Everything has an origin. So these thoughts, these ideas that you get, they have origins. But they come from one of three places. Number one, they come from your own sinful heart. Many of your thoughts and ideas come from your own sinful heart. Number two, other thoughts come from the devil. The devil puts a lot of thoughts in our minds. He hates us and therefore hates because we're making a similitude to God. And, God, and the, the devil hates us. So he plants these evil thoughts in our hearts. And number three, we also get thoughts and ideas, but those come from God and Jesus Christ. And God's, you know, God's angels and things like that. And ver vice versa, the devil, the ones that come from the devil, they come from the devil and all his constituents. So these three thought, these ideas and thoughts that we get all come from three places. I believe Jesus was just delivering this truth to Peter sharply and telling him in a truthful way that the origin of his belief came from a demonic or fleshly source and that it was a false one. And the idea that the Christ was not to die for the sins of mankind and rise again and defeat death was demonic, sensual, and purely fleshly. Absolutely. That was a complete, you know, a complete fleshly thought, a complete satanic thought that the Messiah was not to come and die for the sins of mankind. Because if the Messiah not come and die for the sins of mankind, then no one could have gotten saved. Then no one, everybody would have been still under sacrifice and bulls and goats and rams and our, our sins would have only been able to be atoned for. They would have not been able to be wiped away and cleaned up. Because look at Jesus does finish up his rebuke on Peter by saying, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Well, how about some of the things of men or mankind would have been something like this. Peter and his disciples thinking that they were going to reign right under Jesus as he ruled the earth at that time. And they were thinking, we're going to be this man's right-hand men in, in the new world order that Jesus is going to start. Yeah! That's a, what, no, Jesus, come on. That's a, you're you're going to reign. Come on. Stop thinking those ways. You're, you're just jazzing. You're just kidding. Come on. Don't think that because we're going we're gonna to be your right-hand men, right? We're going to reign beside you, right? We're going to reign under you. And we're going to rule the whole earth with you, right? Well, sure. That's a thought of man. That's a thought of the flesh. But remember, just bits of the prophecies of Christ. In his Messiah, in his days, or Messiah's days, Judah will be saved and Israel will be dwelling safely. In Daniel 7, 14, all people's nations and languages should serve him. So sure, the disciples, but, but understand, they did not have a clear revelation of the different types of prophecies of the Christ. They had no idea which ones were before or after. They were just being taught by the religious leaders. You know, the New Testament warns in the Bible, Paul warns people, be careful what kind of foundation that you lay on someone. It, so many times I run into people and I talk to people on the streets and I've talked to people that have a faulty foundation laid by some crackpot minister that wasn't really even doing his best. And he just wanted to teach and just that was, his, that was the way he made money and, and he didn't have any fear of God and so he just taught whatever way. Well, everybody that he taught they believe what that man teaches. They're in his church and they're believing whatever he says because they have a respect for him because they think he's a man of God. Well, Jesus and or Peter and the disciples and all the people at that time had respect in and trusted in the religious leaders of the day and the religious teachers of Jesus' time and before. 
So when the religious leaders are teaching you that this Messiah was going to come and reign and rule, well, that's what you're thinking in the thought inside your mind. And then when Jesus comes, they notice that Jesus got the confession of Peter that he was the Christ, son of the living God, before he revealed to him that he was going to suffer, die, and then be resurrected. Notice he waited until after, because he didn't want to wait until after Peter's confession and then say, all right, well, now that you've confessed it, Peter, here's, you know, this, that, and the other thing. He, he, he confessed it first, and then he said, oh, by the way, because I looked in Matthew just yesterday, because it was on my heart, I want to make sure I wasn't wrong. Did Jesus say anything about his death, burial, and resurrection before Matthew 6, 21 through 23? In Matthew, absolutely not. This is the first time that Jesus in depth goes on and breaks down what's going to happen to him and what his end will be. He references a little earlier and talks about Jonah, but he doesn't go in depth about Jonah. He just says a few things about Jonah. So the sign, you know, well, son of man, Jonah, you know, just as the sign of Jonah, but he doesn't go in depth. So don't be so hard on Peter in case you were before this sermon. In my closing, have a little compassion. Don't be so hard. He was a rough character, but then again, he wasn't saved until after Christ resurrected, until after Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into his lungs, okay? He wasn't even saved. He was a purely fleshly man. So he did his best when Jesus was alive to be a disciple of Christ and follow what Christ said. But he was still a man, and he was still a rough-natured man. After all, remember, he was a fisherman. Fishermen were not necessarily the highest people of society. They were the working class man too, Galileans at that. And Galileans were not respected very highly. And they were kind of the lower people of the spectrum of religious leaders and then what we'd have today, businessmen. You think of a garbage man today. That would be how they'd probably look at Peter. Just the garbage man kind of. Now saying all that about Peter, in case you didn't pick up on it throughout the sermon, the Lord had me plug in another underlying very powerful message today. Very powerful message indeed that I, outside of Peter and him, you know, having compassion on him and not being so hard on him, this is the other message that I preach today, in case you didn't know. The message of prophecy. I gave you a very powerful message of prophecy, how it proves the Bible and Jesus Christ to be real, trustworthy, and true. As I said before, no human being can tell the future. Only God knows the future. The only one that knows the future is the creator of the universe, God Almighty, and Jesus Christ, his almighty son. And prophecy that is given in the Bible about events and the Christ were definitely given hundreds and thousands of years before the events happened and the Christ came. We talked about the Dead Sea Scrolls earlier. People thought, early Jews thought that Isaiah 53, in fact, was that it wasn't even part of the, uh, their canon until, until uh, the Christians came and then they put it in there because it's so close to exactly everything that happened to Jesus. They thought there's no way that that prophecy could be in there. That had to be the Christians that put it in there. Until in 19, I believe it was 42, when uh, just a shepherd man was going out looking for a sheep and he came across the hills of Qumran where he came to a cave and he threw in this rock and he found these Dead Sea Scrolls which dated all their prophetic Jewish scriptures from Genesis to, to uh, Genesis to I believe it was Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, uh, the very last one, dated them about 100 years before Christ was ever born, about 100 B.C., so no Christian could have put a writing in a Jewish text that was there a hundred years before Christ even ever came. A hundred and, oh yeah, about a hundred and three or four years before Christ ever came. So we know, 
that the writings in the Tanakh or the Jewish Holy Bible or our Old Testament are accurate, untouched by Christians, period. And absolutely, they were the ones that the Jews would have had when Jesus was alive. When Jesus in the New Testament quotes Hebrew scripture, we can go back to our Old Testament that we have in English right now, whatever version you may have. And those are the same words that Jesus quoted when he taught in the synagogues. So we have a New Testament that would be that the Bible in the New Testament was finished right around 180. And we know that the Old Testament scriptures were before Christ over 100 years. So we know that there was no tampering with and nothing at all. So all the prophecies can be trusted. Now, there may have been some confusion in Peter's day about some of the prophecy given about the Christ coming. But today, after Jesus has came and fulfilled the suffering Messiah prophecies and taught about his coming fulfillment of the reigning prophecies that he's going to fulfill, there's no more confusion anymore. Amen. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies written about the Christ and the Bible is found trustworthy because of that. And because the Bible is found trustworthy in the prophecy that's written in it, then you can put your trust in the one that wrote it and you don't have to worry, you don't have to doubt God's word. See? So if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, please seek him and search out the things that I spoke about today. Go to Google. Go to Yahoo. Go to Bing. You've got all the search engines out there. You can go to fulfilled prophecies of the Christ. And now you can know that the, the, the scriptures weren't tampered with by the Christians that they were really can be trustworthy. And then when you go to the fulfilled prophecies of the Christ and you go to the Old Testament ones like we did today, and then we can go to the New Testament ones about how he did fulfill the suffering Messiah prophecy. He's going to fulfill the reigning Christ prophecy. Then you can put your trust in the God of the Bible and in Jesus Christ, his only son, that came and died for the sins of the world. See, that's how much he loves you. He wanted to prove to you by prophecy. There's a couple others too, but we're focusing on prophecy today. He wanted to prove to mankind that by prophecy that he was real. And that nobody, since nobody can know the future, all the things that were written about him hundreds and thousands of years before that he came and fulfilled. How does anybody do that? Well, there must be a God in heaven. And well, since the Bible's not been tampered with, we, well, we must know. Well, we can trust that. And he wants you to seek him and find these things to be true as well in your seeking. And then when you find them to be true, come and put your trust in him and start reading his word and make a decision to follow him because he does love us very much. He came to, came to this earth. Notice his first coming was for us. The second coming is to collect all those that put their faith in him because after his first coming, he gave everything for you. He came, he lived, he was brutally beaten and then destroyed by those that were supposed to be expecting his coming. And then they killed him brutally. Murder. First degree. Premeditated, in fact. Then he went to his grave, and then, but the grave couldn't hold him. And three days later, he came and he rose again. And he defeated death. All for what? So he could set you free from your sins. So please, seek out these things that I taught on today. And yeah, don't be so hard on Peter. But you know what? If you're not so sure about the Bible, now you have things that you, you know, you have a starting point. Well, I can go to the Bible now and I can, I can look at it and I, I can search these things out. And you're, you're telling me there's more prophecies? Oh, 
hundreds of prophecies that the, that the Christ fulfilled and that the Bible had been fulfilled in the Bible that were written hundreds and thousands of years before and then they came to pass, untampered by man. So please, go start seeking. And if you haven't given your life to the Lord, if you haven't come and put your faith in Him, know if, as you seek and as you find, know that you can. And then when you do, you don't have Peter's excuse because Peter had to repent here. Peter had to repent once he really found out the truth about Christ. He had to repent, just like I hope you will and you'll put your faith and trust in God and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, after you find out the truths about Him. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much for what you did for us. Thank you so much for the prophecy that you gave, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, that we can have a heart and compassion. Um, poor Peter, Lord. He is the brunt of so many jokes. Lord, I've heard them all, Lord. I've, I've heard many of them, Lord. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray that the, although he, he was a knucklehead, just like I was a knucklehead before I got saved, Lord, um, thank you, Lord God, that he had a passion and desire to follow you, that even through his mistakes, he got up, he repented after he made a mistake, he got back on the horse, and then he kept riding, and he kept walking for you, and he kept following you. Lord, thank you so much for his heart. I pray that everybody in this room, including every Christian in the world, would have at least the heart of Peter. Maybe not as impetuous, although sometimes that's good, Lord, but just the heart of Peter, just to follow you, and just to be obedient to what you said. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace that you pour out upon all mankind. We love you and praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name.